Uh, so this is a brief passage uh, from uh, Barack Obama's new memoir, Promised Land. Uh, worse yet, my administration was deporting undocumented workers at an accelerated rate. This wasn't a result of any directive from me, but rather it stemmed from a 2008 congressional mandate that both expanded ICE's budget and increased collaboration between ICE and local law enforcement departments in an effort to deport more undocumented immigrants with criminal records. My team and I made a strategic choice not to immediately try to reverse the policies we had inherited, in large part because we didn't want to provide ammunition to critics who claimed the Democrats weren't willing to enforce existing immigration laws, a perception that we thought could torpedo our chances of passing a future reform bill. Comrades and friends, welcome to another episode of the Highlands Bunker Podcast. I'm in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, waging a digital propaganda campaign against the Delaware Way elite. Today's episode is produced in partnership with the Delaware Call, Delaware's premier progressive online magazine. You may have heard of it. Uh, Carl is virtually connected, as is our guest today. Uh, ahead of the new General Assembly in Dover, I wanted to talk about the brand new dynamic and how that new energy could yield something we've seen very little of in my lifetime, um, actual legislative achievement. Uh, joining me today, I think it could be a linchpin of that achievement, uh, my representative in the Delaware State Senate, Sarah McBride. Hello. Hello. Happy New Year. It's wonderful to be on with you. My constituent. Yes, this is, a con this is constituent talk. That's right. That's right. Uh, yes. So Happy New Year to you. Um, we, we made it uh, through a, uh, uh, quite a year. Um, very, very strange stuff. Um, I don't know, uh, I don't know if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but there is at least hope that something uh, could break free here in 2021. God willing. Yeah, inshallah. Uh, so let's get into it. Um, I, I think it's fairly uncontroversial, um, uh, to say that you're a transformational figure, uh, in the social and political discourse, um, similar to Obama, um, your existence and the manner that you've chosen to live your life in a public way as a politician, um, I think, proves that. Um, the next president wrote the foreword to your book. Um, you're famous. You know, I, I went doing my prep for this um, and seeing all of the new uh, podcasts that you've been on and shows you've been on. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's a groundbreaking win, and, and I, I understand um, certainly that sentiment. Um, but the question that keeps uh, popping into my mind is whether you will be a transformational politician. Uh, in my view, Obama wasn't. In my view, Obama was a failure. Um, Obama believed that he was part of an apparatus that he couldn't really impact. And I read the, the quote from the book to start the podcast simply because it's, it's indicative of that of being in a position that um, not much can be done. There is a big, um, there is a big concern about perception and politics so that the, the criticism that might happen could potentially harm uh, negotiations down the road. And Obama finishes that section basically saying, you know, we didn't want to torpedo our chances of passing a future reform bill. 
so I, I, I'm glad they did that. Would you like to, I mean, he, he could, he, I, I, did he get into the bill, the, 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 legit, the, the immigration reform that they passed, the sweeping, you know, immigration changes that got passed? Um, oh, wait, he didn't. So, you know, again, this is my concern. And I wonder whether um, you've read the book. And I wonder what your takeaway is in that, uh, you know, about that and about sort of uh, being in an apparatus where, yes, you are in the room uh, and you're at the table. uh, But what is happening at that table and what are the things that you're thinking about in trying to actually sort of accomplish some sort of progress in the legislature? It's it's a great question, and it's it's one that's very much on my mind. Um, not just as I enter the new new role, but also as I actually am in the process of reading that book right now. Um, I haven't finished it. I'm about halfway through the 500, 600 pages. I think it's um, seven. I think it's over seven hundred. And it's just the first term, is my understanding. Um, uh, but you know, it, it's interesting because you see Obama really grapple with his whether with his own beliefs in the possibility for progress within the political sphere um with the compromises that he made um you know on a a micro level you see him sort of defend each of those decisions but then on a macro level i think the the broader theme is questioning whether they're worth it um and and i haven't gotten through the entire book so i'll reserve judgment i mean i think on the specific point um, I'll reserve judgment in terms of where he comes out on it. But on the on the specific point that that you raised around the the immigration reform package, um, I, I think in retrospect, most folks who want immigration reform have come to the conclusion that that was the wrong decision because it was precisely the kind of strategic decision that betrayed a more fundamental first principle. Um, that inevitably strategic and tactical decisions will have to be made when it comes to advancing legislation. But the the sort of question is, in terms of who we want at the table, are they people who will abide by certain first principles when making those decisions? Or will they let the the sort of short-term political imperatives or the, the politics of possibility serve as an excuse to to undermine the overall uh, undermine uh, over uh, the overall moral questions involved. And I think in the in the instance of 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 immigration reform, President Obama did that. He let a short-term political strategic consideration uh, become an excuse to violate the human dignity and rights of of many undocumented people who faced deportation during his administration. So I think I, I think it's a good example of how everyone will be required to make strategic and tactical decisions in advancing legislation. The question is, when you're faced with those decisions, do you abide by certain first principles? You know, for me, going into this role, um, my hope is that at the end of my term or at the end of my time in the General Assembly, for however long the voters will have me, that the most notable component of my service will not be my gender identity, that it will be the legislation that we pass. Um, and, and I think, you know, 
there are always going to be challenges. And I think you and I have talked about this. When you go into, when you go into spaces um, that, are, that are inherently flawed because of the structures of government we have, because of the society and systems that we have, um, because of money and politics, it, 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 people, it's easy to make mistakes. And, and I can assure you, I will make mistakes. Um, my goal is to be able to come back to my constituents, to this district, to advocates, and explain my rationale. And even if they disagree, hopefully they can understand it. But hopefully more often than not, they will agree with the decisions that are made. I think right now we're at a, a significant moment. I think in many ways, the ability of someone to, to help bring about significant change is not just a byproduct of who they are, what their principles are, and, and, and what role they're in. It's also a byproduct of the circumstances. And I think the incoming General Assembly is coming into to, to office or returning to office at a time of, of really significant challenges where a number of issues have come to the fore that offer significant opportunities for progress. And it's on us to seize that moment, to meet that moment, and to make that progress, whether we're talking about, obviously, the, the current public health crisis, whether we're talking about the pre-existing need for Delaware to figure out our sort of ec next economic chapter, whether we're talking about the once-in-a-generation call for racial justice, whether we're talking about the lawsuit in the, the education equity or the settlement in the education equity lawsuit, um, those are four major challenges uh, that in a traditional year could fill an entire legislative calendar. We are going to be called because of circumstances to address all four of them. Um, and, and I think that that moment and the lessons that the public has, has I think learned from the last year in particular, provide us with a unique responsibility and a unique opportunity um, to, to hopefully meet this moment with significant progress. And I'm happy to get into to my thoughts on all of those specific areas. But yeah, I, 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 I really I, think that it's a, a significant moment for us. Yeah, I do too. And and I I, I mention your your position as a as a transform transformative sort of social person and public person only because I think that that is one of the things that gives you uh, a particular bit of political power walking into a, a you know a freshman legislature that maybe other people may not have uh, because of maybe the connections you've had the book you've written uh, and some other positions that you've taken in your public life uh, but my concern is is really when you take all of those issues and, and, and put them together is a, is a is one of perspective and I'll tell you what I mean uh, are you familiar with the are you familiar with the term capitalist realism it's, it's a term that Mark 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 Fisher created the term and it, it basically it, it, it at the core of it it basically says that whatever our problems are they have to be solved in in a in a preset way that we've all well that the idea is that we've all agreed that it can't be any other way I'll give you an example one of the first uh, public confrontations that I had with Governor Carney. I asked him a question about increasing the LLC fees or or looking to or make the tax code more progressive. Uh, that's come up in the legislature many times before. 
And his response was one of capital flight. All these people will leave. The only way that we can basically uh, expand the tax base is by incenting corporations on the supply side, is by keeping you know taxes incredibly low, uh, is by, by keeping spending as low as we possibly can. And this is the only way that's going to do this. Now, I actually think he really believes that. I think he's absolutely wrong. Uh, it's, it's a failure of imagination and it's a failure of really deep sort of political thought. But he lives in that world where everyone's supposed to accept as sort of as canon, as gospel, that that is the, confi the confines in which these problems need to be addressed can only be done like this. And I don't agree with that. And I'm wondering what your thoughts about it are. Well, I think one of the things I've learned in my advocacy is that you really do have to meet people where they are. And we might all have different perspectives with which we see the particular issues we face. So for someone, it might be a moral perspective. For others, it might be an economic perspective. And I think one of the things I try to do is I try to meet people where they are and articulate the goals that I have in a way that resonates for them with their experience and with their perspective and with the language that they use. For some people that also might be the language of faith, right? There are, are, are various sort of perspectives uh, and languages we see the world through. And I think making sure we meet people where they are. And so to your point around this question of, of, of both economic and, and financial stability or, or, or long-term stability, I think there's an argument for progressive policies through that lens, that one, we have a need to diversify our state revenue um, beyond the over-reliance on the franchise tax, um, that that has grown significantly since the 80s, uh, that it is, it has actually resulted in us not having as significant of a deficit this year as we otherwise would during this COVID pandemic. Um, but in the long term, we need to diversify our our, our revenue and 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 re and remove our sort of over reliance on on that tax. The only way to do that is to attract more young families to Delaware. The only way to do that is to expand the income tax base, to build the kind of workforce that businesses are looking for, because at the end of the day, you know, Alabama, Mississippi. South Dakota, they might have low tax rates, but we don't necessarily see them attracting the kind of businesses and being an incubator, an incubator for businesses like we see in places like California and Washington and Oregon and Massachusetts uh, or, for, or New York, for that matter. That the only way that we build that economy, that next chapter in our economy, is to attract the kind of workforce we need. The only way to address our over-reliance on the franchise tax, which I think, frankly, most political leaders in Delaware agree is it has gotten out of hand is to attract more young families to Delaware and everyone I think agrees with that well I don't I, I don't I'll tell you this is just a per this is a perfect uh sticking point so let's 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 in uh, investigate well, I mean, this. everyone in the political sphere right well I, I mean maybe I'm not in a political sphere I, I don't know and that that was going to be my question talking about sort of meeting people where they are and getting there like <clears throat> I this is the answer that Carney gave me about giving $4 million to Amazon to, quote, expand the tax base. I don't think that allowing Amazon to pay $15 an hour with shady benefits or anybody to, pay, to, to basically exploit 
labor in in the way that it's very clear that they do as far as I'm concerned and we can share you know different studies and, and, and information on that and talk about it but I don't think that's the only way I don't think using jobs and saying we're going to we're going to incent and and, exp and, and, and expand the kind of jobs that are going to attract people is the only way to do that I, I disagree no, no. and so my next point was going to be the way we do that isn't by you know, uh, spending exorbitant amounts of money attracting those businesses here. It's not a regulatory race to the bottom. It's not, um, you know, it, it's not any of the ways that I think conservatives oftentimes think you attract businesses. The way you attract jobs is to attract the workforce. And the way to attract the workforce is to say, you come to Delaware, you know, we're going to have uh, a, a livable minimum wage. We're going to have paid family and medical leave. We are going to pass Medicaid buy-in so that you've got an affordable option on the individual marketplace. We're going to protect workers in the gig economy. We're going to lower the cost of housing, and we're going to make affordable housing a reality for, for every single person. These are the ways that you attract young people to this state. It's not attracting businesses here. It's attracting, if you build it, they will come. If you attract the workforce, the businesses will come. And the way to attract the workforce is pro-working family policies. And, and I think as millennials, you know, a lot of times people think the way we attract millennials is we build cool shit, right? We, 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 we have great parks and, you know, clean streets and those might be parts of it. But at the end of the day, millennials are, are, are looking for the kinds of policies that allow them to, to start a family and be able to not just survive, but thrive. Um, and that means those pro-working family policies. So my point is that if you if if you take the argument that they're making and the language that's being made that has you know kept taxes you know relatively low here in Delaware, particularly property taxes, when you take those arguments and you say, I I accept the premise that we need to be smart about our economic growth, but the path forward there is innovative progressive policies. And, and so I think you can meet people where they are, use the language that they use to make a point that they might not otherwise hear if it's not, if, if you're not meeting them where they are. And so I think that's, for me, I don't think you could, I don't think you sacrifice your values or your positions by accepting some language that, that allows people to hear the message and understand it from whatever perspective they're coming from. Because in a, in a democracy, you have to build a majoritarian coalition. And inevitably, that coalition will include people who are coming to the issue from a different perspective. And it might be a perspective that you disagree with, even fundamentally. Perhaps. I mean, I, I think there's a there's a there's a uh, a part of that that I'm not sure is clear is is, is the, the Democratic part. Like, who is in that coalition? You know, who, and again, I appreciate the fact that, I believe me, I, I live here, so I appreciate it very well. Uh, and I named the podcast when I named it. Um, I appreciate the fact that your constituency, uh, by and large, is, has, has succeeded in the status quo. Um, I, I think that, you know, they're able to send their children to friends in Tower Hill. And so it doesn't matter to them 
uh, about attracting maybe a younger family that might be sending their kids to, to public schools. Um, you know, that stuff, you're into a, a sort of a sticky situation about who is in that coalition. You know, who are you, who are you speaking to and what are you, you know, what, what tools are available to you based on your constituency that you're going to be able to, to sell? Um, now, again, because I think, uh, because your background is what it is, I think you're in a very unique position to be able to do that more than maybe someone else could do. And so that's really why I think um, you're such an important figure in, in this coming General Assembly. I'll, I'll ask it a little differently and we'll see maybe, and this, this maybe will be able to get us into some of the more, like the priorities and sort of what, what we want to do in this term. Um, let's, let's hypothetically, let's hypothetically say that there's, there's, uh, there's a progressive caucus, either in the Senate or in both houses. And I, I think it's not, um, you know, it, it's, it's not telling on anybody to say that, you know, there is a vanguard of progressives that are coming to Dover, uh, Medina, uh, Marie Pinckney in the Senate, uh, Larry Lambert, Eric Morrison. That's the squad. But if there's a progressive caucus, other people are going to join that, possibly. If that caucus was formed around adherence to a set of general policy guidelines, for example, changes to the progressive tax structure, stricter rules on corporate subsidies, et cetera, um, a lot of economic stuff. Is that something that you would try to leverage with that group for the kind of changes that you're thinking about? And can you give me some specifics about some of those uh, issues that you were talking about and how you might prioritize them? Yeah, so the short answer is yes. Um, nothing that you said there, I oppose. Um, everything you said there, I, I support. Um, I support moving away uh, from, you know, a, a corporate subsidy policy for economic growth. Um, I support uh, it, it, making a more progressive state income tax. Um, I support Medicaid buy-in. I support, you know, I ran my campaign on universal paid family and medical leave, which would be the most you know, significant social safety net expansion in Delaware, probably since the seed scholarship was created, if you would consider the seed scholarship a social safety net program. Um, you know, I, I support uh, a $15 minimum wage. Uh, I, I, I haven't had conversations. My sense is that the progressive, my sense is that it's mostly in that it's in the house. Um, I haven't had overtures. So I'd want to hear more about the strategic and tactical Strat, uh, uh, decisions that that the caucus is making, um, but I do believe. I mean, I I do believe that we were elected to do big things. I believe we have a unique moment to do big things, and if if there, are, frankly, I've already said, you know, if there are votes that I need to to take that make my job harder and getting reelected, I am happy to take those votes. And there are things, there are absolutely things that I would be very, very, very willing to say, I don't care if these are popular or unpopular, the right things to do. There's plenty of those. Um, so in terms of a specific caucus, I'm, I'm open. I haven't had any overtures about that. But I think what you will certainly hear if you talk to um, the, 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 the members that you mentioned, um, 
similarly, uh, you know, progressives in the Senate, they will tell you that I am as staunchly progressive and bold in my desire for an agenda and a vision for this coming legislative session as any other member. Um, So, yeah, I mean, what this obviously no one's no one's going to make an overture towards me because I'm just a a moron in a, a small studio here, but. Uh, so it's 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 hypothetical as far as I'm as far as I know, but I do know that there is to me the way I've been framing it is that there's this sort of um, you know there's there's certainly uh, you know f- freshmen who are coming in uh, with the understanding that they are sort of the vanguard of a progressive sort of socialist leftist movement, and and others who maybe could be part of that, and and that coalition I think is going to be the one that could create the most change. Like I said, I, I'm, I, I think that the, the, the time is right. The, 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 the general assembly has changed in ways that really could make people, um, sort of look forward to something like that. I'm not sanguine because I'm just a cynical sort of pessimistic person, but I, I do think that because of the, the situation going into this general assembly, that people do have an expectation that, some accomplishments are, are going to have to be had um, for, for people to be able to say, yeah, thanks for, um, you know, voting in a new group of, of, of fairly younger, more progressive uh, members. And so, you know, I, I don't know how I don't know how that's going to pan out, actually. But but, you know, I, I'm I'm interested to to see, you know, I, I, I can't predict the future either, but I think there's never been the momentum and possibility like we have right now. Um, And I think that the new members of the General Assembly have really, I think, reinforced and empowered and motivated a lot of longer term members um, that, you know, maybe felt have felt like they we weren't seeing the kind of of significant progress that that they wanted to see. And so I think that between the 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 new members and a lot of the returning members, I don't think we've ever had a moment of such f- frankly, you know, limitless possibility before us. Whether that pans out obviously is going to be those on all of us who are who are there now. Um and I think you're right. I think, you know, one of the, I think underlying all of your questions is a point that I am very aware of. And I have had conversations with with many um, in 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 advocacy and in the progressive movement where they say that that I have a unique position, platform, and opportunity to leverage whatever I bring to the table for significant progress. And you know, I've had conversations with people, particularly during the campaign, where I was like. That, that may be true. I think there are questions of how people res- respond to me when I get there. But I do, since starting the job two months ago, do see that in certain instances. And it is certainly my intention to show folks that I'm willing to to, to utilize that position I'm in to, to be an ally to the progressive and uh, movement and and the fight for significant progress here in Delaware. I, I, I think that, you know, there is, there's, there's 
you know, you mentioned my constituency. First off, this district looks like Delaware. Demographically, the economic diversity of Delaware, with the exception of, uh, you know, not an agricultural industry here, we effectively represent the both economic and demographic diversity of this state. And so we've got, yes, the Highlands, but we've also got, you know, the Ninth Ward, we've got Belfont, we've got Claymont. Um, we've, we've got significant diversity and all of those communities are my base because all of those communities are my district. And to the degree that there's specific language that I can use here in, in, in the Highlands to make clear to folks who are doing well that the reality is actually also that the long-term, that the status quo does will not work for any of us long-term. And, and, and that the only way to write that next economic chapter is for us to get creative, to be innovative, and to p- pass these best practice policies. I mean, these are best practice. The, the progressive policies are best practices. And we are seeing them pay dividends in other states when it comes to economic growth and shared prosperity from that economic growth. Yeah, I mean, we, we, had, a, we had a conversation a month or two ago. And, you know, I, I said it and I said it here. Uh, you know, the, the solve to my cynicism is is action. Um, you know, the opportunity is there. It's just a matter of of, of seizing it and 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 making a uh, making a real effort to build a coalition to 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 do some of it. Um, I think what'll help, and and I don't know if you have any insight to this. I know I've talked to a lot of a lot of members recently about the setup at a general assembly, and you know, it'll be all virtual at least for the first couple of months, and I think that's necessary. It's unfortunate, but uh, there's no other, there's no way around it. Um, but I do think that having the building open or, or doing things in public in some fashion could also help with this. Um, you know, I go back to thinking about Obama after reading the book and, and realizing that, you know, he, he very um, sort of disingenuously used to say, you know, I can't do it myself. You have to make me do it. You have to br- bring pressure to bear to make me do it. But he completely ignored the fact that he let the grassroots machine that got him elected die on the vine. Um, there's a very good essay about this in the New Republic. Uh, what's it called? Oh, Obama's Lost Army. Uh, Micah Sifri wrote it. So I, I, I encourage people to take a look at that. And, and it, it, it actually will tell you that he was probably right, and that's probably why he let the grassroots machine sort of die, um, so that the status quo was easier to maintain. Um, but I hope that there is going to be some opportunity to sort of publicly uh, have our voices heard. Um, do you do you know how that's going to work in this session? Is there any idea? Is there a is there a target where um, either leg hall can be open or other things can be done in public in some fashion, or are we just sort of playing like wait and see at this point? I think my sense, and obviously I'm not part of leadership, so I'm not part of the the day-to-day conversations, but certainly my sense is that for January, the decision is made that we're virtual and that it will be reevaluated sort of on a rolling basis, depending on, um, the, the scale of the the spread, the progress of the vaccine, frankly, the new more contagious strain presents, you know, a, a, another X factor that's hard to, to, to take into account when planning long term. So my sense is there will be a reevaluation. Um, I'm under no illusions that doing this virtual is harder. Um, 
it's it's harder from the perspective of you know much of the actual sort of legislating the conversations you know the the ability to to hash out an issue is a lot easier in person than it is on, on the phone or over zoom and that the young legislators the new legislators not the not young the new legislators are at a disadvantage because you know you learn so much by osmosis being there um, that it's hard it's hard to start the legislative process with the start of it being completely remote for 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 you so there's significant challenges that we face i think from a public input perspective i think there're trade-offs the, the the virtual session allows for the public to participate in in a in a, a certainly one hear and watch and therefore hold people accountable for what they're doing and saying more than it has been in the past where the sessions were not live streamed and where being able to be at, at, at to watch the senate session required you to take time off work have the means to get down there have the ability to get down there etc so that there are elements that are more transparent and more accessible than things have been in the past but then of course it's it's much more difficult to you know organize a lot of people to um to, to put pressure on legislators by being physically in the legislative hall and as someone who worked on an advocacy effort i know how important physically being there was um so i think there's there's trade-offs i i do think it's harder virtually and my hope my very strong hope is that the virus and the pandemic is in a place where we can we can go back at some point this year um because i do think there is a unique window and it is harder now i haven't done the job yet virtually so my ability to to say how hard that is will be you know informed over the next few weeks as we as we actually start the session yeah i've i've said the same uh, the same just being here. I mean, this is the second time that we've spoken and recorded it. The first time was here and now it's, it's like this. And so I've, we've, Carl and I have talked, you know, we've done about half and half, half in person, half on Zoom. And yeah, there is a trade-off. I mean, I certainly like the flexibility of Zoom. I've, we've been able to have different types of guests, uh, panels, different things, which have been cool. Um, but the, um, the feel of it is, is different. And so, yeah, it's, 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 um, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, my personal feeling is that as far as any kind of activist pressure that, that really can only be done in person. Um, there's a, there's, there's something there about, you know, sort of pressuring somebody face to face that's going to. That's going to do something that that a, a virtual interaction is not going to do. But uh, it certainly allows people the opportunity to get more involved and to watch what's happening, to see what people say, to see how things work. Um, and that 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 could that could turn out to be a game changer. I don't I don't know. Um, I guess it really depends on um, what kind of stuff goes down in Dover and uh, and, and how uh, how meaningful it is to people's lives. Uh, and so getting into that, let's talk about sort of priorities. Um, you listed off, you know, four or five of them, and I think they're all great. Uh, I don't, uh, some of them that you didn't mention that I know will come up are, I guess, uh, marijuana legalization, full legalization. I don't know where you put that on your uh, priorities and, and also uh, some of the gun issues. Um, my personal feeling is sort of mixed on that. 
Um, a lot of people know my position on guns in general. Um, I, I put that very low on my priorities, uh, but I also understand that there's, uh, there's been organizing and activism around this already. And so, you know, when people are involved and they're telling you that, that this is something that they want, that has to be taken into account. I mean, that, that's just a fact. Um, so where, where, what, 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 how do you prioritize some of the things you mentioned, some of the things I've mentioned, and what do you think are the other, um, other than just your priorities, some of the other influences on what could possibly uh, get done and, and, and what might not? Yeah, well, I think you, you, you summed up the issues really well there. Um, from my perspective, I think that this moment calls for a meaningful economic agenda. Um, I think Delaware has done a really good job making progress on issues that tend to not cost much. Um, but I think we have to, to, to be willing to invest, um, recognizing that it's both the right thing to do and it's actually smart long-term when it comes to the, the, the financial questions. Uh, and, and so I think that that means a, an economic agenda that truly rebuilds Delaware from this pandemic in a way that lifts up working families. I think at the heart of, of that is, is obviously, uh, you know, $15 minimum wage. At the heart of that is paid family and medical leave. I mean, I think there are few issues more uh, sort of more at the heart of the confluence of the economic crisis and the public health crisis than the need for medical paid medical leave. Um, and so I, I think paid family medical leave needs to be a part of that. Um, and I and, and and I think that uh, that that you mentioned. Uh, I think be, beyond those two big economic issues, um, I also think that, as I mentioned before, the educational equity lawsuit and the settlement that comes from that. But then more broadly, the the actual you know specifics of those policies. This is we have not updated our education funding structure in more than eighty years. I think we have the, the, the oldest education funding structure in the country. And there are some things we do that only a small handful of states do. And there's some things we do that literally no other state does. And, and so I think that along with that educational, um, uh, that educational uh, or that economic package, we have to have meaningful education, uh, a meaningful education package that really addresses the structural inequities in our school funding system. Um, I, I think those three. I think the criminal justice package um, uh, is necessary. Obviously, the the task force is putting that together. I think one thing that I'm very eager to see in that is a real reform of the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights, especially the component that seals uh, the, the records of law enforcement officers, even if they have been fired from their job for you know, excessive force or dishonesty, the, the sealing of those records from uh, for other jurisdictions when hiring law enforcement, the challenges that defense attorneys face when, when, when trying to obtain those records in a criminal case, and the lack of public uh, access to those records completely cut off any more meaningful reforms and accountabilities that we can put in place. So I think at minimum, we've got to see a starting place of, of, a, of a real reform of Leobor. Um, so, so I think those, those four issues, I think are, are must-haves. 
But but then I think, you know, when we're talking about what does our economy look like in the future and how do we reform our criminal justice system, when we talk about um, when we talk about the, the confluence of those issues, obviously you see marijuana legalization there. Um, my hope is that we we pass it in a way too that addresses the records of folks who've been incarcerated for any marijuana related offense, uh, as well as making sure that the new market is keeping capital that exists in communities that have been criminalized by the the the, the criminalization first of use and then a, and now of, of of the market that we keep capital in those communities in a new legalized market. Um, and, and so I'm hopeful that we'll see progress on that. And, 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 and on top of that, I think we're also going to see progress that's left over from last year around, um, building a green future for our state that includes increasing the renewable portfolio standard. But I also think it's, it, it includes hopefully a, a more fundamental look at things like electric vehicles and making them more economical and accessible for people, making sure that solar is more accessible and economical for, for people actually uh, investing in and, and creating a, a state commitment to wind energy here in Delaware. My understanding is we are the only state on the East Coast that doesn't have a meaningful investment and commitment to wind energy. So I think there's, like I said, there's a lot. There is, there's a lot. And in prioritization, I think the reality is, is that the circumstances call for progress in some form or fashion on all of those issues because they, the question has been called on each of them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, like I said, I, I, I stay away from any kind of, um, you know, uh, optimism uh, on all of them. But yeah, the, the, the issue has been called out and people have been called out on all of those. And that brings me to really the next question is because of that, because these are a lot of them are um, the, the minimum wage has come up and been defeated. Uh, the school stuff has been, I think we can, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say it's been, it's been stonewalled. I mean, it's been, it's been, you know, nobody would drop the suit. We're going to let it play out. Like nobody wants to, nobody wants to take action. Like it, it's like kick the can down the road. Um, same with marijuana. There's no, there's no good reason not to do it other than just people's general feelings. So to just make up, you know, uh, how are we going to test drivers? I don't know. We don't test drivers when they get, uh, when the doctor prescribes them muscle relaxers or oxycotton or anything else there's no test for that people are driving all around on that nobody cares i mean people care but you know it's, these are silly arguments but you're going but but we so the good thing is we already know sort of the arguments we're going to run up against and the people who are going to make these arguments so the question really becomes uh do we think we have the 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 acumen and the coalition building and the strategic thinking on priorities to to achieve those things. Like, what do you think is different today than when the $15 minimum wage failed last time? For example, I'll use that as an example because that's a that's one that pretty spectacularly you know, people still talk about that uh, sort of that failure and the training wage and sort of that that type of thing. Like, what are some of the strategic things we're going to try to do to overcome some of these um uh, you know, just just some of the the opposition that uh, you've seen over the past two or three years. I think there are a couple things that that um, create greater possibility. One again is the economic crisis and and the public health crisis. I, I really do think that has 
fundamentally changed the public's improved, I should say, the public's appetite for meaningful economic reforms. Um, I think similarly, it's also improved the appetite for, for members, uh, for elected officials. Um, I think, you know, you, 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 you've raised this, we've talked about a number of times. I think the influx of new folks has over the last two years, um, but I think in particular, the influx of new folks and the way they were elected this year um, creates a, a, a new, more significant opening. Um, you know, I also think, look, I, I, I think that the, 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 the leadership, I'm really, I've obviously never served under a different leadership team, but I am really excited about um, the leadership team that we have in, in the Senate. I, 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 I think that, uh, that I have in the Senate that, that they are three leaders who understand the opportunities to do big things, the responsibility to do big things, that, pol that good policy is good politics. Um, and, and, I think, and I think are eager to see all of us, you know, as they say, change the world. I mean, they've literally said, let's go spread our wings and change the world. And so I think, you know, there's, there's a number of things that have happened in the last six months that create a, I think, again, not, not a, a, a route to shore success, but certainly an increased possibility for, for, for passage of all of the issues we've talked about that's much higher than it's ever been in the past. Yeah, again, uh, it, it certainly has given me reason to, to, to think that things can happen. Like, I, I don't know. And, 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 the, le and, and the, new, uh, the new leadership in the Senate, uh, who, which is, uh, let's see, uh, Brian... Uh, and uh, Dave Sicola and Tizzy, right? Is that uh, yeah. the three new uh, leaders? Um, yeah, I mean, I I actually look look at, at that group in a similar way as I look at some other people who, yeah, I mean, they have progressive sort of proclivities, uh, but again, they've been stuck in either you know poor strategy or maybe they're not as a dynamic uh, sort of uh, representative necessarily. But yeah, there's there's many. Uh, I, I think of Paul Bombach uh, uh, in the in the House, and also <clears throat> and also Jack Kowalko in the House. Um, yeah, there there are people here who I think are primed to to make uh, to, to 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 be able to find partnerships with people and get a lot of this stuff done. So in that sense, yes, I I think that um, there is reason to think that something could happen. I guess that's as far as I'll go. But but I also don't think it's limited to, you know, the, the folks you mentioned. I mean, I, I think that there's 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 appetite across the chambers, across the caucuses. Um, and, and and look, I can't speak to the House as well as I can speak to the Senate because I'm right. not in it. Um, but my sense is that there is real appetite across the caucus and across the chamber. Um and and I haven't spoken to every single person. I you know I, I haven't been able to take a vote count or a whip count, make a whip count on 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 these issues, you know, a hard whip count on these on a lot of these issues. I know people are, um, but my sense is that is that people across the sort of ideological span of the caucuses are there and are ready and are allies. Um, 
And, and that doesn't mean that there aren't barriers. That doesn't mean people, those, those coalitions will shift depending on the issue itself. Um, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just the, the folks that, you know, are, are the ones that you mentioned. I think that there is real appetite across, across, you know, the, the, the span of each caucus. Yeah. I, I think what I'm going to be watching the most is, um, uh... Yeah, just the the machinations. If 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 it's if it's more of the same, and and I don't mean the same, you know, people necessarily. It's not, or or the same arguments. It won't be because there is a desire for things to move. But I wonder if we see the same roadblocks in the house, for example, where where things. That's that's sort of a wild card, I think. Um, I I I assume people have been thinking about that. Because there wasn't leadership changes in the House, um, I th I think a lot of a lot of folks, you know, you mentioned changes to the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights. Um, I I know that the 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 House, at least the House leadership, is not going to be keen on those. I don't think. Um, and and so I'm really interested in to see what kind of battle lines are drawn, um, because it really is time for. You know, it's it's time for new arguments and new action, and I wonder whether people are just going to uh, how that's going to how that's going to shake out. I'm 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 that's the interesting part, sort of to me. And and through that shakeout, I hope that some of this stuff can, uh, you know, we can see some big victories, uh, one or two that we can hang our hat on and say, see, that's because I I guess my feeling, and you you sort of mentioned this before, and and maybe your situation is a little bit different. Um, but because so many uh, challengers did win in this last uh, election, I, I think they're going to be put to the test. And if they don't, if they're not able to point to some victory or some change, I think it's going to be very difficult to continue on this road uh, and convince people that uh, that stepping out of their comfort zone or stepping out of capitalist realism in that bubble started stepping out and trying to be more imaginative about how uh, we can build Delaware back up after COVID or how we can make this get the schools up, you know, you know, change the way we do, we do education that, that we haven't done in 80 years. Like if, if, if we, if, if we can't show results, uh, it's going to be very hard to go back out and say, let's do this again and again and again. And so that's really, that's my main goal or, or concern with all of this is to be able to strategize to 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 bring some results and say yes this this program that we're on this progressive program that's a little more that the challenge is the status quo that doesn't play you know by the we don't we we you know the way I always explain it to people is yeah you have rules or you have the way I think I I I I don't follow those rules I don't think that that's the right way. I don't think everyone's agreed that that's how we should proceed. It's very hard to sell that um, without some victories to point to. So that's what I'm, you know, I'm sort of holding out for that. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, whenever someone frustratingly complains to me about voters who don't vote, um, you know, my point is that's not, that, that's an indictment of, that's an indictment of our politics. It's not an indictment of those voters. It means that we have not given them the, the, the reason and the motivation to come out because we haven't delivered enough for them. 
Um, and so I, I, I feel a strong, strong responsibility, not just to a, a movement, but to the voters across this, across this district and across Delaware to say, we're going to, we know times are tough and we know that the crisis that we're in has only reinforced and laid bare the inequities in our system that predated it. And we know that you have elected us in the manner that you've elected us, right? At, at a record number, or not a record number, but at a, at a higher number. Um, and with a lot of new people who, who understand the urgency of these issues, um, that the message is clear. And, and, and that we will take these two years to do as much as we can. Now, to your point, we're not going to, we're not going to win every single battle. We're not going to win. We're not going to, we're not going to have a, a, a major advancement on every single issue. Um, but I do think that, that, that we have a generational opportunity before us, um, to do quite a bit and to have folks when they go out and vote in 2022, know that the last two years have really um, have 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 resulted in really meaningful change, and and that includes meaningful change when it comes to the economic conditions and 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 the financial stability and security that families here in the state face. Yeah, I think we'll leave it there because I think that that's exactly right. One of the things I harp on all the time is when you when you speak to when you speak to people where they are, you speak about their material conditions most often. Now, again, some people don't really have these concerns, but most people do. And I think when you can, you know, you, you, when you can speak to people's material conditions, when you can try to improve people's material conditions uh, and improve just the social structure that we all share and feel like we all share it and feel like, um, you know, if we protect gig workers, if we give people time uh, you know, family leave, if we make sure that they're paid a decent wage, um, that everybody actually benefits from that. Um, I, I think that that goes a long way into sustaining what I hope is going to start this week. That's what I hope. Well, I, I hope so too. And I, and I think, I think my hope is that you will be very pleased with the coalitions that develop in support of these policies that it's not just the 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 folks that we've talked about by name on this on this podcast but it's going to be people across the caucus in both chambers yeah well sarah thank you very much uh for joining us uh i i appreciate it we'll all be uh we'll all be watching your work uh very closely uh to see how this all plays out and uh, i know i'll be speaking with you soon well, I was about to say, hold my feet to the fire, but I know you will. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about that. That's kind of why I asked whether when you're going to be back in session in Dover, because I like to do stuff face to face. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be riling people up down there as soon as I can. Sounds good. I look forward to that. <laughs> cool. All right, everybody. Um, thanks for uh, tuning in. Once again, this is the Highlands Bunker podcast at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. And please uh, take a look at Delaware Call online and support our work if you can. Left is best. Left is best.